Hi everyone, my name is Saheem Abdesamad, and this is the first episode of That's a Bug, a show where we talk about software issues or software bugs every episode. I'm here with Nat Couture. Nat, could you tell a bit about yourself? Sure. Pleasure to be here. My name is Nat Kutsul, and uh, I work uh, as a, a software uh, quality assurance consultant. I've been doing this for 15, 16 years uh, in a variety of small consulting type companies, startup companies, a mix of performance-related bugs, security bugs, uh, or testing, that is, functional testing, automated manual, you name it. Yeah. That's awesome. So I also have a similar background. So this is great. So the topic we would like to talk about today is uh, is actually about the Facebook login. So one thing I discovered recently, uh, like we talked about a bit before, is that with the Facebook login, unlike other logins that I've ever seen, uh, you can actually type your password slightly incorrectly. So if you, if, for people listening, take your password and whatever the first character is, if let's say your password is hello123 and it's lowercase h, change that to uppercase h and type that password in, it'll let you in. And when I first saw that, I thought that's a, that's a bug, but it turns out it's not. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, the, the first I heard of that was when when uh, when you sent me the little, the little snippet and uh, I was pretty surprised actually. I, and I, I just started thinking about why on earth they would do that? And it, I immediately went to user experience, right? So it's always, um, you know, especially now that we switch between devices so frequently on these social platforms, right? So you, it asks you for your password and you get it wrong. And then it's like, ah, what was it? And you miss it by a little bit. And I suspect that they probably, the engineers probably thought, okay, let's reduce some of this frustration and build a, you know, a usability feature in so it'll accept slightly wrong passwords. But yeah, my initial gut reaction was like, oh no, that's that can't be good for security. I don't know of it being implemented in any other software, certainly nothing that, that I've ever worked on. And so, yeah, this is pretty unique, I think. And I was very intrigued by this and especially why I want to do this episode. Uh, so I kept looking into this and I tried my password many different ways. Uh, so things like, let's say you have caps lock on and you type your password in, it would also let you in. Okay. Uh, the, the other one, more interesting one that I thought was, um, let's say your email address is person at gmail.com and you change Gmail to gdmail.com, it would still let you in. Oh, wow. So yeah. in the username field. Yes. So you can get your username wrong. Did you try the combining a wrong username no. and wrong? I wonder what they're doing there because... Yeah. I looked a little bit into how they make that work because the, the implication that I first, you know, I'm not a security tester or practitioner. I know a little bit, but I, I started to look at, you know, the implications, the way that they built it. My first inclination was that, oh, no, they're, they're storing it in plain text. And they're basically when you when you uh, submit this, they're just manipulating the safe password and looking how close it is. But that's not really what they're doing. I think they're. They're, um, it's still the password saved in a hashed form. And then what they do is the new, um, the new submission that you're, you're, you're putting up against that is being hashed in different configurations. So they keep your, you know, what you submitted unencrypted, I guess, or unhashed, and they just hash it into different common misconfigurations, I guess, and see if it matches the hash. And, but I, yeah, the, I didn't know that the username, so what, what is that doing? So my guess is, and I, let me 
tell me what you think about it is uh so gdmail.com is actually not owned it's not an actual site but there is somebody owns it but that domain is i think is for sale okay. so gmail yeah so my guess is since that username doesn't exist and it's a common misspelling of gmail uh they are allowing it but if somebody goes and buys that domain or has an email address uh so if it's let's say it's chat and that at gmail.com and you type nat at gmail.com and you and somebody actually owns nat at gmail.com and is, has a Facebook account, it won't let you in because they know the usernames. Oh, I see. So if it's, oh, okay. So they might check to see if it's actually a real username. And if it's not, then it assumes it was mistyped. Maybe. Yeah. That's okay. my, that's my wild guess, but I, I have no idea if that's how that works. It's a gutsy feature to implement, I think, <laughs> because... You know, again, I guess from a security perspective, because they're not compromising the saved password that they have, they probably figure, well, it's really only eliminating a small subset of a really large search space. And, you know, none of these platforms can really be brute forced anymore. So it's, you know, once you've done a couple of attempts, but I think I still think back to like, think of the people, the way, so there's habits, right? And so... The if you look at how people store their passwords to memorize them, or they they often can't memorize, so they put sticky notes somewhere. But you know, if if uh, if you're trying to compromise someone's account and you're looking through an office like the the closed office that we are in now, I bet you we could walk around the desk and find sticky notes in various drawers. And, and the problem though is that sticky if someone has messy handwriting, you know you, you might get that wrong. But this would basically uh, eliminate that or or reduce that so you know not that that's very good protection you know bad handwriting but again it probably it improves your chance of compromising that account um, the other thing that i like i know uh, and i may not have good password habits but i take the same a part a good porter like the core part of my password stays the same and i change i either add a prefix or a suffix and I, those change, but depending on, you know, I don't know exactly how they've implemented if it, it, they might only be one letter, they might add one letter and maybe that's not enough, but you know, the habits that I have probably aren't that dissimilar to a lot of people out there. Right. And so does that make it easier for someone to guess your, your password if they know the password for another site? Maybe, yeah. Or, I don't know. No, that's a good point. I, I didn't think of the handwriting thing, but that, that definitely makes sense. Yeah. But the other part. That is a very common thing. I'm sure if you ask a lot of people at work that at, at places they work at and they are forced to change a password every three months or something, yeah, yeah. More, more than likely I would bet that's what they're doing. Yeah, you add like a one, two, three, four, five at the end. So, and I, you know, what implication does that have? Again, maybe pretty minimally because you can really only try, what is it, lock you out at three attempts? Believe it's like three that. attempts. So, um, but again, what, if you were smart with the attempts, you it blocks you out with three successive attempts rapidly. But if you were smart and did the attempts over a longer period of time, you might do one every hour. And then I don't think it would, like, I don't know what the threshold is. I would assume that you could circumvent that by trying, maybe one a day or yeah. whatever. You're being very clever with this brute force, right? And maybe you only need 10 attempts or whatever. So from a security perspective, it, it's a bit worrying. Um, it's interesting though, from a functionality or usability perspective, because it probably does make things a little, 
little better. And because it's a social platform where you're not putting your financial stuff up there, maybe there's less at stake, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I can, I can see that, but I also don't really want somebody to have access to my Facebook no, account. No, no. Yeah, no, and, and people keep a lot of personal stuff there. And, you, you know, your identity, a lot of parts of it are up there. But I can't imagine, like, I can't picture you know, a bank or yeah. whatever implementing this as a feature. Like this is, yeah, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it uh, is definitely interesting, right? So at, like, I presume you do a lot of interviews uh, at, as part of your job, daytime, or full-time job. One of the common things I ask during interviews is uh, give a scenario. And the most common scenario is like, here's a login screen. Yeah. And Tell me how you would test this. And this thing is, this Facebook login thing is completely different than anything I've ever thought of. Yeah. Well, I mean, logins are generally relatively simple, right? You've got, you know, one combination that gets you through. Um, and yeah, this changes that, right? And so th this makes it way harder to test. You don't really know if it did it work or did it not work. I mean, it, it, it let you in. Should it have let you in? Maybe. I mean, I don't know how, I assume they have the way that the feature works internally from the engineering side is probably pretty, they probably have that well documented. And so the tester just has, you know, a much broader scope to cover. I don't know. But yeah, your traditional login, like as an interview question, that throws us out the window. But it'll be interesting to see now that, you know, probably in the next six months, people will start to hear about it. Because I don't think it's really hit the, like I, I did a little quick walkabout here with you know security folks and just functional folks and they were they were kind of concerned so they went the first thing they did they went and tried it to see if it was true because you know how a lot of this stuff is kind of hoaxy um but it, it is real um i'm glad more people try that out because uh because I, I was also a little unsure just like you um, yeah. i was like is i really reading this correctly and i tried it out and the yeah the actually the domain name part the username part was actually even more concerning to me because if I could have bought gmaild.com for a reasonable price, I would have just to try it out. And but... put, oh, to see how quickly they may catch, like, yeah. but you'd have to have an account registered. So like, in that, yeah. yeah. So whatever your username is, just get the other domain and yeah. then try to yeah. use that. Because then if that lets you, it lets you into the other person's account, then, then that's a real problem. But yeah. I, but it's, it was so blatant. So I, I can't see them not. Uh, considering that you know and it makes it hard too to understand where what what's a what's a failure right it's very unclear especially if they've got a bit arbitrary or a bit of um randomness in the way that they implement this so if they if they decide to grow the the number of combinations that they're going to allow or like maybe they just have like wild cards in, in place right so like the like the email thing how flexible is that? Like, are they just wildcarding like the email address or maybe, well, I guess they probably look at Gmail and they say, okay, how many, what are the 200 most common misspellings of email addresses? And so you look at the common like Yahoo, Hotmail, you know, you probably got like a thousand combinations of that. Like, are they really letting all of this go through? Like that's, I don't know. I'm guessing that's what they're doing, but because they, they have the data. The reason they're doing this, like you said, the user experience, because the user is more useful for Facebook logged in than logged out. Thanks for listening to the first episode of That's a Bug. 